0: That, but we don't, have to, we don't have a lot of reasons not to share the faith other than people might think we're kind of square or make fun of us or laugh at us or things like that. But let's, uh, let's pray. You don't have to stand. I know we're a little later than normal uh, getting started with uh, all the things that uh, we wanted to cover. We didn't want to kind of just uh, lightly touch the International Day of Prayer. We believe it's important enough to give it some real dedication this morning. So bow with me as we pray uh, for our own nation, uh, which desperately needs uh, to turn to the Lord. Uh, And when that happens, uh, we wouldn't see some of the things taking places in schools and things like that. We would see a revival. And then we also want to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, which is uh, what we're doing with all of our brothers and sisters worldwide that are recognizing this uh, important uh, area of prayer as well. Lord, we bow before you now, and we just uh, come before you knowing that uh, you're the only one uh, that can protect and can heal and can deliver. Uh, Lord, we see this video, and it's a true story uh, of someone beaten for the faith. Lord, but you used that sacrifice, and you used that surrender uh, to bring a village uh, to knowing their own need for salvation, Lord. Then, And you open the eyes of those that are even doing the persecution. So we pray now, Lord, uh, for those that are persecuting uh, those in the North Korean government, the Chinese government, ISIS and uh, Al-Qaeda and so many others, Boko Haram uh, in Africa, many that are pursuing uh, Christians and just a hate uh, whether it is a religious zeal or communism or atheism, uh, all of the things that, uh, Lord, We see, but we know that their eyes are darkened. Uh, They're under the power of darkness. And we pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes. As you've been coming in some countries to people in visions and dreams, and you've been using the power of preaching uh, in communities and just uh, lovingly reaching out to those that are trapped in false religions or trapped in ideologies, we pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes. We pray that you protect those that are actually taking these great steps of faith. Lord, we Uh, We pray that you would give protected prophets to northern Iraq and Iran and North Korea, just as you did uh, with Jonah, Lord. You protected him to go into a wicked city like Nineveh, and you protected him in the midst of that place. We pray that you would protect our brothers and sisters, those that are in prison, that you would release them, that you would send earthquakes, that you'd send your angels to deliver them. Uh, Lord, you'd blind the guards, and then they would even lead the guards to Christ while they're blinded. Lord, all of the things that you can do, you have all the power and the universe at your disposal. And we pray, Lord, that we would be interceding, and that our prayer life would grow more powerfully. Even as we're in Luke 18 this morning, you'll be teaching us, Lord, that as we pray, we'll see you do great things that we could have never imagined. We pray for our nation. We pray for a revival and a great awakening. You turn many hearts back to you. Bless this Bible study this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn with me to Luke 18. And we're just going to read the first few verses. Everybody should have their Bible now. Luke 18. Reading verses 1 through 8. Starting verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. There was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But after, uh, he said, afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust said, unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears along with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Lord, we just ask for the Spirit of the living God to bless and speak through this study. Speak through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. I want you to understand uh, the background of this widow's dilemma as it was in ancient times and in, in the Near East, Uh then during the time of Christ, it was extremely difficult for a widow during those times, whether you were a Jewish widow or a Gentile widow. In either case, very difficult time to be a widow. I don't know that there's ever in history been an easy time to be a widow, but even more difficult in many respects during those times. They had an unusually difficult time finding any kind of financial means Often. It was not always the case, but this was very normal. Keeping their heads above water, very, very difficult. For the Jewish widows, this was the case in spite of the fact that under the law that was given in Exodus and Deuteronomy, the widows were to be taken care of by the collective people. And the early church. Finally, did when when Jesus comes and he sets up his church, the early church really did take it serious, didn't they? They had the distribution for the widows. We see this outlined in the book of Acts. Paul mentions it in First Timothy. It's also mentioned uh, by James in the book of James. So the early church did take seriously the original commandments given to take care of those that were widows in their midst, uh, and, and in many respects, <laughs> widowers would also need. Uh, encouragement and things like this so it's not only widows but specifically they had the hardest time uh, in those times women didn't have many rights in those ancient times whatsoever so there was a lot of things stacked against them now we still have a responsibility as the church today Uh, we still have the same responsibility to help and to encourage and to minister to widows now wouldn't you agree with that? What was given to the early church is still given to us today. I think it's something that the broader body of Christ and Calvary Chapel of Richmond can grow immensely in, that we can do far better in meeting those needs and really ministering. It's something that Jesus had a heart for. And I hope that we do as we mature as a body, as we mature as a church, as we mature in the Lord, uh, that people will say, hey, that's a church that really understands God's heart for widows. Uh, that would be my heart. But Jesus, in conveying this parable, he illustrates the plight of this widow who has encountered some type of injustice. If you read the text, it's clearly something has happened to her that she feels, I don't know why this has landed on me. I've done nothing to deserve it, and it's causing her a great deal of distress. Whether she's been defrauded, whether she's been physically hurt, Whether her property has been taken away, something she owned, whether something has been damaged, and all these are possibilities, the exact reason for her pain and frustration isn't given. She's desperately seeking help. She's desperately trying to get one of the judges in her area to listen to her case. She's crying out in a helpless condition. Now, judges in those times, what they did is they traveled in a circuit you ever heard of circuit-riding preachers back in, the, back in the early colonial times and, and even well after that you had circuit-riding? Well, they had judges that would travel in a circuit, and what they would do is they would set up a tent in an area, and the tent would be set up, and the judge would actually sit in a chair and preside there, and the judge would have assistants that would filter the cases. So people would come, and they'd have a petition, and this was, this was all over what would be uh, Israel today in ancient Palestine in that area. So the judge would have uh, these tents set up. People could come and try and, and, and have their case heard, have some kind of voice. Now, many of the judges and their assistants were less than equitable and fair in these matters. Uh, you know, the, the, the concept of you know, blindfolded, equal justice under the law wasn't always the case in those times. And what would always often take case is those that were really well-connected, they'd get their cases heard. Those that have money to bribe the assistants, they'd get their cases heard. But if you're a widow that had no means, no connections, your case wasn't probably going to be heard. And so this poor widow and others like her were often without a voice and without any justice. This is still the case in most of the world today. Would you not agree? Those that are poor, Those that are downtrodden, those that don't have much access, they're not connected, they're not getting high-priced attorneys. There's a disconnect even to this day, even in our own society. It's noteworthy that Luke, uh, Luke mentions widows more than all the other writers of the Gospels combined. Well, Luke was a physician. It's very possible, and I would say likely, that Luke often helped widows with physical issues that couldn't, by any other means, afford. And Luke has this, it's, it's obvious when he writes so often about them that he probably saw their plight, and he would be one physician and say, I don't have any money, can you help me? He had that heart that the Lord did. A giver, not a taker. So this widow we have here having no social status, she has no connections or financial means, does the only thing she can think of. It's actually pretty smart. I will weary this judge out as best I can. Just continue to stand outside the tent and not leave and continue to cry out and to beg for justice and mercy. That's all she had to do is just to stand outside the tent. If he took the tent to another place, another city, follow that other city and keep saying, when am I going to get justice? You're the only one that can help. And even though these guys could, they could just basically say, hey, have her removed, throw her in prison or whatever, uh, at some level there was enough compassion. Jesus is using a parable here, but still he's saying that even this unrighteous judge would get tired of just hearing this and finally for his own sake and just convenience sake say, all right, let her have her time. She's desperate, and desperate situations, as you know, call for desperate means, don't they? And out of her needs, she keeps crying to this judge until he hears her plea and addresses her situation. This widow's desperation and determination, it gives us insight to our own needs, doesn't it? Her desperation and her dedication to being heard gives us insight to our own needs And how we approach God the Father. This is what Jesus is getting at, that we too have desperate needs, some more than others, but he's giving us some insight on how those needs are going to be met. If you're taking notes, I've titled our study this morning, Prevailing in Prayer. Prevailing in prayer. I love that quote at the end. I'm just a simple man. He said something that only, only, I'm nothing without prayer or something to that effect. We'll look at three things this morning, perspective good to have the right perspective. It's good to have Jesus' perspective. Uh, We we don't have Jesus' perspective, we're in a lot of trouble. Second is persistence. He's going to express to us the need for persistence in our prayer life. And the third is prevailing. Uh, We don't just have a prayer life to have perspective and to have persistence, but ultimately that we see victory in our life and the lives of other people. There's a prevailing that God wants to see take place in our life. We want to start with this perspective, and, and Luke is the one actually speaking in verse 18. You'll see in your Bibles, it's not red letter, but he, Luke said, "In then he spoke a parable to them, and Luke is summing up for us, Luke is summing up the essence of this parable. What is it? That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Luke is giving us the summation. If there was a title that Luke would give it, uh, keep praying, don't lose heart. This is a perspective. In life, perspectives help us keep going, don't they? When you have the right perspective on something, you're able to keep going. You're able to not quit. You're not giving up because you know that the end state is owned by God. The perspective, not losing heart. To lose heart, it means to faint. The Greek term here means to faint. And what it means in the Greek, uh, additionally, is to be utterly Spiritless, to be wearied, to be exhausted. You ever felt that way? Wearied, exhausted. You feel like you're going to faint. Your spirit feels like fainting, even if the body doesn't. That's what he's talking about here, to not lose heart and to faint and collapse. Now, Jesus, if you recall in Luke 17, if you look at the verses just above in Luke 17, uh, remember he talks about the Son of Man's return. He's just finished talking about his coming back to the earth, the second coming of Jesus. And he's told a little bit about what the condition of the world will be at that time. Uh, This discourse on the end time state of the world when he returns and the atmosphere of the world when he returns. Remember he said it it would be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. The days of Noah and the days of Lot. He just got finished uh, talking about that. And what did he, when he talked about that, that there would be a fascination in the world with pleasures of the flesh. A fascination with pleasure of the flesh. There would be a falling away from the faith. Paul speaks about this in the apostasy that he warns Timothy is coming. There will be mockers and those doubting any judgment. Peter speaks of that when he writes to the church. And there would be little to no interest in the things of God. There'll be a lot of interest in movies. There'll be a lot of interest in Netflix. There'll be a lot of interest in smartphones. There'll be a lot of interest in the next iPhones coming. Did you know that? There'll be a lot of interest in that kind of stuff. And there'll be tremendous interest in what is in the bank account and what's on TV and what vacation is next and what, you name it. I mean, people were very interested last night in Halloween parties. Extra hour sleep. Not an extra hour to go work, worship. Not an extra hour to go fellowship with the body of Christ. But a fascination with things that are not the most important. And in many cases, are not only not most important, but are actually counter to the things God has told us that matter to him. Things that are holy, things that are righteous. Football stadiums. They would become the Sunday sanctuaries. That's not in the Bible. We just now know that now, right? I was reading an article uh, uh, about a year ago, and it it was written by, it was just a secular article. I can't remember if it was in a sports article or the Wall Street Journal or whatever. But I was reading this article, and the writer was talking about football stadiums are our modern sanctuaries. This was an unsaved person that recognized, and it talked about the Super Bowl was the largest cathedral of all. This was an unsafe. Pr- I'm telling you, the article was not written. It was actually, they were doing their best to create the right imagery for people to understand. And little do they realize they're speaking the truth. It's the way God would look at it. Now, those things aren't necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but they are when they become gods and idols and they take the place of God in our life. These are the things that would be the norm uh, when Jesus is coming back. Now, for followers of Christ, the world uh, could become, as Jesus describes later when we get to Luke 21, uh, when he talks more about the end time, that's the Olivet Discourse, the apostles would write on it, uh, the Old Testament prophets wrote on it, the world would become, not could become, but would become uh, very spiritually dark, as it was in the days of Noah, where uh, you had only Noah and the rest of the family, eight and all, that were saved. So disinterested, the world would become very disinterested in the message of life that we bring. You know, as, as I you know, look at kids coming up to my doorstep with skull faces and all this stuff, I'm here to present life, and someone has convinced them that death is fun. I, I was walking the other day, and, uh, and, and there was one little tombstone that someone had in their front yard, and it said, um, Barry D. live. Now, when is buried D. live ever funny? But the concept that we have, that you know, the, the world is actually drinking in the enemy's concepts of what it's all about. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Satan says, I've come that you might have death. And, he, and, and in some ways, he's not even hiding it. Wouldn't you agree? He's just being out in front with it. But people uh, think it's kind of funny or kind of cute. But the, the world would be disinterested in a message of life, and they would instead... Remember, Joshua said, I could choose life or death, blessings or cursings, and people would choose the opposite of life. In the case of persecution, they're not just rejecting the message of life, they're aggressively going after those sharing a message of life. You saw the video. It's a nice, loving guy that says, I just want to tell you about Jesus. I'm not forcing anybody to do anything. Jesus didn't force himself on the world, did he? He just simply proclaimed, come to me those of you that are weary and heavy laden. And for that, he was crucified. He was sent to the cross. There's people that all around us as it gets closer to the return of Christ, remember Jesus is queuing off of what he just finished, that the people would be gripped with fear. There'd be doubts. There'd be despair. There'd be depression. There'd be all kinds of issues that would crop up. And as a believer, we see all this stuff around us. We feel like throwing in the towel sometimes, don't we? Elijah was a man just like us, and he went into a cave and said, I just want to die here. He didn't want to go back because the, the, the society was so anti-God, and the, you, know, you had people like Ahab and Jezebel and all the areas that were going, things that were going on in Israel. He didn't even want to go back. J. Vernon McGee in his commentary mentions that during World War II in London, when the bombing became very frequent, intense. buildings were collapsing around them. Uh, people were huddled uh, in in bomb shelters and basements. Uh, it was a frightening time to live in London during that time, and uh, wave after wave of Nazi bombers bombing the city. And one of the churches put out a sign that said this in front of their church: it "said If your knees not together, kneel on them. If your knees not together, kneel on them." See, fear is a motivator to either pray or throw in the towel. Fear is a motivator to either th- pray or throw in the towel. Because people become so afraid say, well, I, if I can't beat the world, I'll just join it. And other people say, no, I'm going to pray through it. Warren Wearsby said, take your choice. Do you want to pray or faint? Do you want to pray or faint? It, what Luke is saying is there's only two options. You can either lose heart or you can pray. I think for us, it's a, a clear decision which way we must go, right? We must pray. This parable certainly has application beyond the fears of unsettling days, uh, particularly related to the end times, or even unsettling related to persecution. It's not just about that. This, this would apply in many other times in church history where there was times of relative peace, which we still uh, have in our lives here. Uh, but we have fears, don't we, in our life. We have things that weaken us. We have things that weary us. We have our own pains and frustrations in life. Some of which, I don't know what yours are. I look out there, there's you know 80 to 100 faces out here, and you know what your fears and frustrations and pains are. I don't. I have my own things that I deal with. You have your own that you deal with, but God knows all of them. And as a physician, Luke, um, no doubt, on many occasions, th- think about Luke as a physician, on many occasions, I believe, he would have met people that in their health conditions had stopped praying. They'd just given up, didn't pray anymore. And they not only given up praying, they'd kind of given up on life or given up believing that God could do or would do anything about what it was that was troubling them or causing so much pain, be it physical or emotional. It's easy, it's easy to lose heart, isn't it? It doesn't take much. You could be on a mountaintop one day. You ever feel how far you can fall fast as human beings? You know that God never falls, ever. Do you know he never has a down day? You know he never has a fearful moment. You know he never has a moment of anxiety. He never struggles with, what am I going to do. We do. It's easy to lose heart. We lose focus. We become fixated. We become fixated on problems, on issues, on shortcomings, on gaps, on concerns. We fixate on them. This happened to Peter, didn't it? He jumps out of the boat, cruising along with faith. I mean, who wouldn't want to walk on water at least once in your lifetime, right? Literally walking on The only one that had ever done it other than him was Jesus. Jesus doesn't sink, doesn't fall. He can do it anytime he wants. But Peter's walking on water and having no issues until he does what? He takes his eyes off Jesus, and now he's fixated on the waves. He's actually looking at the one that created water. And he forgot it. And down he goes. And even though you might be saved for years, we can forget the very one who holds our lives together. The fact that we've, none of you have, probably no one in here this morning said, please heartbeat this morning, please Please breathe while they're doing this worship song. <laughs> God holds those things. He took his eyes off the creator while he's on top of the ways down he goes. The other day um, I mentioned that while I was that walk I was a lot of times when I I'll do an exercise in the morning, I'll do some devotion, then I'll go for I'll continue I'll do an extended prayer walk um, probably four or five days out of the week. I'll just go and and keep praying by just walking. A lot of pastors in, uh, all throughout history did this. As a matter of fact, some of them wrote hymns while they would walk. Um, and so I'll just kind of go. And this Friday, when I, at the same time I was walking by uh, demons and tombstones and skulls and just praying over the neighborhood and stuff like that. Uh, Friday was an amazing morning. Uh, it was one of those times where the sky there was not a single cloud in the sky, if you remember this, this past Friday. It was blue sky, not a cloud in the sky. And I was praying about things that I don't know what you pray about, but I always pray, Lord, I need wisdom in so many areas. I don't know. I have a clue what to do with this. Things in my life, I'm like, Lord, how do I lead in this? How do we, how do we uh, make more disciples? How do we do? And then just issues that I might have, that you might have, and I'm just praying through different things. And I look up, and there's the moon. is still in the sky in the morning. And I feel the sun on my back, and I turn, and the sun and the moon are both visible at the exact same time. Did anyone see that on Friday? Did anyone else see this? It's not often that the moon and the sun are both visible at the same time. And I instantaneously had this impression or feeling from the Holy Spirit that God says, this is the way the whole universe looks to me. I see it all at one time. Because I felt like I was walking on terra firma of the earth, I was looking at the moon, and I could see the sun all at the same time. And I'm just a little peon human being. God allowed me to see three celestial bodies at the same time, the earth, the sun, the moon. Now, you could have seen it too if you're out walking. I went home, and I got, I said, Sarah, you got to come out. She saw it, and then by the time I dragged the girls out there, the moon was gone. It was only a short period of time that both of them were visible. But the Lord was reminding me that he sees everything all the time. And the moon and the sun are under his feet. The stars are under his feet. So the very things that, that we worry about, God was telling me, I got all of this under control. And we have to learn to have more trust and more faith. What a recipe that uh, what he is giving uh, that uh, Luke is uh, pointing out here. Always to pray and to not lose heart. What a recipe for life. Pray and believe. Pray and stand firm. Pray and move forward. That's perspective. Let's look at the next thing. Persistence. Persistence and Jesus talks about in verses 2 uh, through 7 here about the woman's persistence. We've already talked about uh, what she was doing, following the judge from place to place, crying out for justice, please hear me, please hear me, please hear me. You ever prayed like that? Please hear me, please hear me, please hear me? Yeah, we, we, we know something about it. Persistence reminds me of the boy that every time he'd go to the store with his mom, Uh, there was something he wanted her to buy for him. And no matter how many times they went to Target, they'd see it. they go to Walmart, they'd see it. No matter how many times, she'd say, son, I'm not buying that for you now. Maybe Christmas, but you're not getting it now. June, July, August, keeps asking. She goes, why do you keep asking me? I've already told you a dozen times. I'm not buying that for you anytime soon. She goes, well, he says, well, you constantly ask dad, to listen, and to look at you, and to turn off the TV, and to get off his smartphone, and to get off his laptop. And he never does it, so I'm assuming that we'll both keep asking until it happens. <laughs> That's a whole different message, guys uh, and <laughs> ladies. That We could go down on that one for a while, right? But the persistence, knowing that I have to keep asking, because the only shot is to keep presenting the case. here what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Eddie Cantor was a, um, a, a Broadway uh, singer in the uh, early 1900s, a uh, performer, singer, and he said this. He said, it takes 20 years to make an overnight success. It takes 20 years to make an overnight success. And what I think that the Lord is teaching all of us is that Whether we have an urgent need like this widow, or what we think is an urgent need, whether we feel like we've been wronged or something needs fixed, we keep presenting it to God, but God's timetable for how he answers is not always ours. Wouldn't you agree with that? His timetable, not only is it not usually ours, it's hardly ever our timetable. And it's hard for us to get our arms around and, and, and accept, but it's the reality the Bible compares us to plants. You ever seen how fast plants grow? You ever sat there and watch a plant? say, so "I'm going to watch this plant all day and watch it grow. I don't care if it's corn or a tomato or a tree or anything else' say, I'm just going to sit here, and you could watch it for days and your eye would never even pick up it growing, would it? The only thing they can pick it up is when they use those, uh, those cameras that are fast shutter and they're taking thousands upon thousands of pictures and then they speed it up but at the, at the naked eye level we'll never be able to see anything grow because it's such a slow process and a lot of the growth is taking place where? Under the ground. The roots are going further out. And we're compared to plants. Pastor Chuck you know uh, in, the, in the study that we did with the men this past year, Pastor Chuck uh, talks about um, the fact that the church, and those of us in the church, God compares us to a garden, not a factory. Factories, you ever watch like how things are made? I like the Food Channel when they're making like Twizzlers or something going down the line. Yeah, they roll off a thousand, they're sealing them up like 10,000 per minute, roll off. I'm like, who eats all that? But nevertheless, those things are fast, but gardens aren't fast, are they? They're slow. And God listens to our prayers But our prayers grow during the time that we're waiting for them to be answered. Did you hear me? Our prayers actually grow, or they can, if our hearts stay soft and we don't lose heart. It's going to take time, though. Many of the prayers that we bring before the Lord will keep bringing them. They have to come with a right heart. Remember back in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find it, and it will be open to you. But, he, but the concept there is to keep knocking, to keep seeking, to keep asking. Why? Well, our heart has to be in the right place. We can't be asking, James talked about this, praying amiss for our own pleasures or for our own something that we just want to, God, answer this so I can just get along with a perfect life without you. Do you realize a lot of people pray that way? Lord, if you just get me out of this jam, uh, I promise, and that, you know, that, I'm really not going to do this, but I promise I will but if our hearts are right, say, Lord, you know, some of the prayers that you might be praying, if God says, yes, that is my heart, you say, man, I, Lord, I'd love to be debt-free so we could give more of our time, talent, and treasure to people. That's a prayer God will hear. You agree with that? I'd love to be debt-free. Lord, I'd be able to do, and if you mean it, God will know if you mean it, and he will meet you. I, when I, me and my wife got saved, uh, we were $80,000 in debt. I prayed that prayer, and God, in a few years, wiped all that out. Those are things that God will do in our life and say, Lord if, I, Lord, if this you can meet this need, I'll be able to better serve in this area. Now, sometimes God may say, no, you wouldn't be better able to serve in that area. You actually need a thorn in the flesh like Paul had. So his answers aren't always what we would want, but they are what we need. But we're to keep asking, to keep seeking. He knows our needs. Ask him to test our motives you ever pray that way? He said, Lord, test my motives. Because sometimes we, we don't even understand our own motives. So I have say, Lord, Lord, my, are my motives correct here? And he'll show us. And if they're not, he'll actually shape the prayer and teach us how to pray. Remember the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because a lot of times we, we're praying and we still don't know how, even if we've been praying for years. And we pray, Lord, for his glory. That's a great way to pray. So Lord, that All of this would be done for your glory, that so-and-so's marriage would be restored, that so-and-so would be healed from cancer, that so-and-so, you know, would actually have their prodigal child come home. All of those were praying for what? Not just for us, but for God's glory. And he likes when we pray for his glory, doesn't he? He won't share his glory with another. Are we praying for his glory, for his will, for his purpose? Are we persistent in praying for these things? Are we persistent in praying for the persecuted church? Not because our day is going perfect, because theirs isn't. There's always someone else that needs our prayers. If an unrighteous judge, this judge keeps hearing her come, keeps hearing her come. If an unrighteous judge, Jesus is making the point, if some unrighteous judge finally says, look, I'll answer your prayer just because you're getting on my nerves. How much so your Father, who actually loves you and loves me, we're not on his nerves, we're on his heart. There's a big difference, isn't it? We're not on his nerves, we're on his heart, on his his mind. His thoughts are continuously about us. He wants the best for our life more than we even want it. But we have to keep going to him. He's not just our God, Jesus is our mediator, he's the mediator of our salvation, he's the mediator of our faith. He'll intercede for us when we don't even know how to intercede. Isn't that great? You know, the Spirit groans and utterings that we can't even know are taking place because we don't know how to pray. But it's the heart of it, the persistent heart. Say, Lord, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to keep praying about this. And at some point, you can have a quiet confidence even with no resolution. Does that make sense? You can have a quiet confidence with no resolution. You can simply say, Lord... I'm just going to lay this burden on your shoulders because you're strong enough to bear it. And that's what we do. And the longer I'm saved, I'll forget it. And the Lord will remind me, remember I taught you that concept? And then I will go lay it back on his shoulders. And that's what we all have to do. He himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he can be trusted. We forsake people all the time, don't we? And people forsake us. Company might forsake you. Your neighbors might forsake you. Family might forsake you. But Jesus will never forsake us. First Thessalonians five seventeen, Paul writes: "Pray without ceasing." It doesn't mean that you would be on your knees, not stop. I can't come to work because I've been told to pray without ceasing. So, uh, pay me from whatever I'm doing at the house, at the house today. No, it's a, it's the atmosphere of prayer in our life, in our mind. We're in constant communion with God. Learning to talk to God in traffic, learning to talk to God. You know, when we're in a quiet place where we can have true intercessory prayer, we're learning to pray with the Father at all times. And she talks about an adversary. We have an adversary too, don't we? You have an adversary whether you know it. If you're saved, you definitely have an adversary. Well, if you're unsaved, you have an adversary too because the same adversary wants to take the unsaved person to hell. The adversary wants to take the saved person to a place of ineffectiveness for Christ, to the place that you just will never have any impact in bringing other people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we have an adversary. 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's always seeking to devour our confidence, our faith, our love, our boldness. What little boldness we have, he would like to take that away. What little love we have, he'd like to take it away as well. And you see this with the persecuted church. He's raging against the church, isn't he? He's raging against believers. He's raging against kids in American schools and all of these things. J.C. Riles said, and, and then if we develop a prayer life, he'll rage against that too. J.C. Riles said, the devil has a special rage against us when he sees us on our knees. Now that shouldn't make us not get on our knees because we're safer in Jesus' hands against Satan's rage than we are in our own hands, without Satan's rage. Does that make sense? We are safer in Jesus' hands because Satan can't touch Jesus at all. A lot of times people, well, I'd rather not have that kind of prayer life because that would invite the attacks of the enemy. Well, go read the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in the first few books of Revelation, and you'll see that it's not a good option to choose lukewarm living. Because Jesus himself is speaking directly to the church, saying, that's not an option. Follow me. I won't forsake you. Persistent prayer. Let's close with this prevailing. And Jesus in verse 7, shall God not avenge his own elect? I mean, someday, uh, those that have been faithful to the faith, God will avenge them all. The martyrs will even be avenged. The, The scriptures tell us that. But even in our own life, you know, problems and things that we have, God wants us to prevail. And he says, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In the context of Jesus' discussion back in chapter 17, in his return of the end of the age, um, his reference here is a reminder that, just like it was in the days of Noah and Lot, that faith will be rare. Genuine faith will be rare. The closer his return gets genuine faith will be more and more of a rare commodity. And Paul talks about it this way, that people will have a form of godliness, but they'll resist the power of God. A form of godliness, a form of outward religion, a form of, well, I, I must be on fire for God because I have a great Christian collection on my iPod. There's no power in that. That's just That's just Christian culture. You can be all part of Christian culture, but Jesus said, when I return, will I find genuine faith? I mean, the faith of the apostles is what he's talking about. The faith of the writers of the scriptures. Will I find the kind of faith that steps out of boats onto waves that Peter had? The kind of faith that says, I don't care if the whole world rejects. Noah says, I will build the ark anyway. That's the faith he's talking about. It would be rare. It was rare in Noah's days, so rare it was only his family, as I mentioned earlier. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, we're told that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God and pulling down strongholds. We've been given prayer to prevail through difficulty. Life is not easy. Life is difficult. Satan's going to fight against us. He's going to fight against everything. Even things like the picnic. I'm praying this morning, Lord, please clear the rain. Please clear the rain. First time we scheduled the picnic, it was like a hurricane was, in, was hanging, out on the, uh, on, hanging out over the coast and rained so much. Tony's church had to cancel everything down there in Newport News. Then I see yesterday's gorgeous for Halloween, but I look at the weather forecast for today and not gorgeous. I'm like, Lord, you control. It. By the way, it's supposed to clear up around 2 o'clock. So those of you prayer warriors, you go ahead and pray it right on out. I'm believing we'll be fine. And I asked two of the boys that were playing outside in the rain this morning, Are you guys bothered by the rain? They said, No, not at all. So um, (laughs) the kids are good. You can sit inside and watch them play. But there's there's always things that the enemy never stops buffeting little things, big things. You ever notice that just the little nagging frustrations in life, you're like, Why does this even happen? This makes no sense. This is stupid. God says, I allow the stupid... I I actually get more bothered by the annoying little things and big things sometimes. And they're going to come in our life. But we have a weapon that's to pray through those things, to to be in relationship with God in prayer. The power of prayer... or Let me say this. The power of God in our lives is directly proportional to the prayer in our life. The power of God in our life is, directionally, is directly proportional to the prayer in our life. No prayer, no power. No gas, car don't go nowhere, right? No prayer, no power. If we lack power, guaranteed every single Christian on planet Earth is lacking a prayer life that God has called them to. If we lack power, every time. What are the, in the book of Acts, before the Holy Spirit was poured out, what were they doing in the upper room? Hours and hours of praying. What kind of power got poured out? Power that the world had never seen. They spoke languages they didn't even know. God can do immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine, but it starts in prayer. Martin Wells Knapp said, workers that are strangers to knee work may work up a temporary excitement, but never will be able to secure the copious outpourings of genuine revival and power. Without knee work, there's no revival work. There's no power work. It it comes through prayer. The prevailing power will come through prayer. We need to pray for each other. I need your prayers. I'm telling you right now, I need your prayers. Our elders need your prayers. Our deacons need your prayers. But you need my prayers. You need me praying for you. You need to all be praying for each other. You might not remember every single person's name. That's okay. Say, that person, I can't remember their name, but I know what they look like. God knows who they are, right? Be praying for one another. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher. He said, may God help me. If you cease to pray for me, let me know the day because I must cease preaching. He said that to his church in London many years ago. When you stop praying for me, tell me the day because I'm going to stop. Because we need to pray for each other. Prevailing prayer is that we move forward as an army. Amen? It's not just about, uh, you know, we, I was at a pastor's meeting and we we're talking about, and that, uh, I, I think I quoted it maybe a year ago, the African proverb uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go all by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. And when we pray for each other together, We will go far. You'll see bonds broken that someone else prayed you out of that you didn't know about. Isn't that great? That someone else here could pray your burden off you. But we're so self-occupied with our own self and our own stuff. If we take ourselves and look and start praying for other people, we would see our own bonds come off while theirs come off too. Praying for one another. We need each other's prayer. Not selfish thinking, but others' thinking close with uh, final thoughts here. You know, In the book of Philippians, I did not know. Turn with me to Philippians 1. just want to see, have us see this together. I didn't know Trevor was going to be reading from Philippians 1. I also am reading from Philippians 1. And one of the verses you read, I'm going to read again because God must have wanted you all to hear this verse twice. But I'm reading, uh, I'm reading just one of the verses he read. I'm closing with that verse, but I re- uh, wanted to read a couple others. In Philippians 1, Paul said in verse 4, and this is where we have to have this heart for our own persistence, but really caring and praying for one another. He says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. Philippians 1 verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel. We're supposed to be all in one fellowship with the gospel. From the first day until now, and I love verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's prevailing. Jesus said, the work I began you will be completed. Isn't that great? We can't complete. There's, you, my garage still has uncompleted things. There are certain things that never get completed in our life, but Jesus says, you will be completed. But one thing I want you to know, Paul said, that I want your fellowship in the gospel to be sweet to be connected, and he would learn to pray for one another. And then in verse 12, he goes to what Trevor was talking about. And Actually, verse 9, he said, In this I pray, he says, pray again. Verse 9, In this I pray that your love may abound. Boy, when we start praying, our love will abound. When we start praying, we'll love each other in ways we've never have before. When we love each other here, we will not be able to control how many people get saved at this place. When we learn to love each other the way Jesus said, and that will come through prayer. You can't say, that's it. I'm going to start loving people like I've never. It happens in prayer life. That'll dissipate by tomorrow. Prayer life is where it's built. In this I pray that your love may abound more and more. And then verse 12, the verse Trevor read, but I want you to know, brethren, things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I want to close on this verse. Paul said the things that happened to me, not the things that I did to myself. You see the difference? The things that happen to me. If we walk in fellowship with the Lord and have a prayer life, and Paul was constantly praying for his own needs but everyone else's needs, if we have that kind of walk, then things still will happen to you that are not your fault, that God allows in your life. But you'll have a different perspective back to the first point about them. You'll know, oh, God allowed that, and you'll know that they're for the furtherance of the gospel in us and in other people. And we'll know that these things will further our walk and further our faith. Amen? That's what Paul is getting at, to say, you keep praying, I'll keep praying, but let, you, need, you need to know the things that happen are not accidental. God knew that you would get that bad news report. God knew that this would not go right. God knew, and some of those, if they happen to us and they're not a result of sin, then God is going to do a great work. If they are things we did to ourselves, you can't say, man, I can't concentrate because I stayed up till four in the morning. That didn't happen to us. We did that to ourselves. True? There's a difference. But if you say, man, I was in prayer, and then the next day I got four flat tires, that happened to us, and God allowed it for a specific reason. And So we have to understand that we keep petitioning God. We trust him with what he's doing in the process. And like a plan, it may be slow, but he's bringing it around. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for... Again, this time, this morning, Lord, we pray that you would teach us to have this perspective of heaven, that, Lord, you'd teach us to be persistent in prayer, and, Lord, you'd teach us to be prevailing in prayer, that your weapons are mighty for bringing down strongholds. Grow our faith. Let us understand that the sun, the moon, the stars sit under your feet. All of our problems may be over our head, but they're all under your feet and under the blood of Jesus, Lord. Nothing, nothing, Lord is impossible for you. Lord, just we pray that uh, every single person here would grow this very week in our prayer life, and it would change us. We would become more loving, more trusting, more faith-filled, in your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us?